Hi, I'm John Leister, and this is episode 37 of the Johnny's Way podcast. Here we go, Lee Hacklin, 1970s private investigator in Fall of the Second Guesser. I'm not a big party guy. For one thing, there's always drama at parties. Somebody gets sloppy drunk, there's vomit. Somebody makes out with somebody else's wife. Doors get slammed. A drink is thrown in some poor schmuck's face for making a joke that was actually funny. Somebody passes out with their head in the toilet. There's crying and accusations and remember that thing you said five years ago and never apologized for? And husbands and boyfriends are humiliated by their wives and girlfriends. Can it happen the other way around? Sure, but I'm a man and I tend to see the male side of things just like the other way around. On the other hand, I'm sort of a private businessman, I guess, and parties are, are a good place to meet people with problems that maybe I can help them with. So when Abby, my girlfriend at the time, invited me to her Christmas party at her house, I went with my best positive head on, reinforced by several shots of vodka. I took a cab to her place. I wore a blue casual shirt and pressed jeans and black lace-ups. Everybody there was clad in three-piece suits and frou-frou dresses. Maybe I was the cool one. No matter. Nick Jr., Abby's teenage son, the lucky punk, was out with his buddies, hopefully not engaged in activities, illegal. I liked Nick, but he's 16, and 16 is 16. I don't care how many times you make the honor roll. Didn't matter. I wasn't his dad, but it was hard not to care about the kid. So, dear Abby, <laughs> looking resplendent in a purple chiffon dress, took my arm and introduced me to some movers and shakers. She owned a chain of beauty salons and was becoming something of a name in Manhattan. I grinned like a madman and shook hands with everyone and looked at the, looked them in the eye and tried not to peripherally scan for potential threats, like, for example, the wet bar. After meeting about 20 people, I was exhausted, the same kind of exhaustion I felt after shoe shopping with Abby. It was weird. I could exercise for an hour or two in the morning and feel energized for the rest of the day. Shopping for 10 minutes killed me. I guess it's a mental thing. Guys basically need three pairs of shoes, as far as I can tell. One for the office, one for play, and maybe one for the construction site. So unless you're unless you're a cement layer, two pairs of shoes. For women, buying shoes has the same gravitas as buying a house or a car. Only with houses and cars, comfort is a key factor. I don't know why women wear high-heeled shoes. Of all the myriad things about the world that completely baffle me, that's near the top. Guys, imagine walking around all day on the balls of your feet. You see, this is why I drink. This is why I'll never stop drinking. Smoking? Someday, I can see that. Smoking is moronic. But give up beer give up beer forever? No way, Jose. So I pretty much felt the same way about glad handing as I did about shopping. I don't know how politicians do it. I guess they like being sucked up to all day. It really is a strange world. So I was sitting outside on Abby's deck, enjoying the warm night and a cigar someone had given me. The smoke and the booze I'd already helped myself to gave me a pleasant buzz. I was careful not to get bombed. This was important to Abby and maybe I didn't have a chip on my shoulder, just maybe, but I couldn't imagine that anyone in this group thought that what I did for a living had any value. Yes, I was sort of quasi-famous for catching the Central Park rapist, but, you know, what have you done lately? And most of what I do involves dealing with the less-than-savory elements of society that Abby's friends and or hangers-on knew nothing about, God bless them, other than, what, other than what they saw in Police Story, if they even watched Police Story. I'm too sensitive. On the other hand, there's this guy. He was short, and he was fat, and he wore a thing on his head that I guess was meant to simulate hair. I'll never understand what the big deal is about being bald. I don't think Ewell Brinner is hurting for dates. He 
was maybe 35 and sort of handsome once, but in decline. A giant ring adorned one of his fingers, some fraternity thing. He smelled of expensive aftershave. It was quite nice, actually. He sat next to me on one of Abby's patio chairs, and I asked him about it. He appeared not to hear the question. What gives you the right to kill people? I took a puff of my ciggy and sipped my beer. You disapprove of me. I mock you. Pal, don't start something you can't finish. What's that supposed to mean? It means I'm having a nice time, and you're burning a lot of calories trying to spoil it. Oh, pardon me. Did I hurt your feelings? racist. Huh. You never know when things are going to get interesting. It's fine. You can call me whatever you like. You don't know what you're talking about, but it's fine. Have a good night. I'm on the mayor's anti-crime committee. Your name has come up several times too many. You're a regular James Bond. You know that? Bang, bang. Problem solved. Then how come I haven't been arrested? I'd like to find that out. You have friends somewhere, obviously. Obviously. What would you do if someone pointed a gun at you? There shouldn't be any guns. The mayor is protected by people with guns. Don't give me that. Joe Schmo doesn't receive death threats. Mares do. Mares are people. They're not gods or goddesses. Joe Schmo knows that. Lackeys and sycophants don't. I don't imagine what Abby sees in you. Aha. The truth, the truth reveals itself, as it always does eventually. That's none of your business. Abby is my business. We were together before you came along. So you say, he had a drink. He was considering throwing it in my face. That wasn't going to happen. I didn't want to embarrass Abby, but that wasn't going to happen. Pal, don't call me that. Pal, if that drink winds up in my face, I'll take that thing off your head and make you eat it. His face blanched. Thug. You initiated this conversation. You identified yourself by your job, your position of power and status. Sorry, pal. I don't care about those things. I'm just living my life like you're living yours. Maybe you, you and your anti-crime committee does some good. I don't claim to be an expert on that, unlike you, who claims to be an expert on what I do. I don't imagine you'd be very useful in an emergency. Somebody breaks into your house. What do you do? Cooperate. He's raping your wife. What do you do? I, I call the police. Those things, those kinds of things, they happen, rarely. Tell that to people who aren't as lucky as you. Bad things happen sometimes, yes, but we have to be philosophical about these things. Violence begets violence. So your solution is to fall to your knees and beg for mercy. If it saves my family, yes. He doesn't want to save your family. He wants to F them, kill them, then you, and take whatever he can and burn your house down. You'd rather not fight and allow those things to happen. Ideas are worth dying for. I threw my drink in his face. Coward. I stood. He put his hands up. Please, don't hurt me. Pal, you've got the kind of pain there's no remedy for other than suicide. I found Abby and we danced. We drank and we mingled. And nobody cried or puked that I was aware of. The night... The night did not descend into a mad orgy. I never asked Abby about the great philosopher, and in any event, I never saw him again. By 2 a.m., everyone was gone, except for me, Abby, and a slightly drunk Nick who'd gone to bed. Abby and I were spooning on the couch. There were bottles of booze and empty glasses and ash-filled ashtrays everywhere. Lee, yeah, Abby, you make me feel safe. And that's the end of Lee Hacklin, 1970s private investigator in fall of the second guesser thanks for listening and please feel free to join my johnny's way uh, facebook group page thanks for listening cheers